occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 47. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses on this construction-filled day. Yeah, if sorry if you hear any construction noises, you shouldn't, but if you do, then it's not our fault. <laughs> like that one. Ah, oh, such a charming day. What are you covering today, Kate? I am going to be talking about John Wayne Gacy, or as he was sometimes known, Pogo the Clown or the Killer Clown. Yeah, today I'm also covering Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a dark one. It's going to be quite intense. I don't think we've talked about such famous serial killers before on the show. No, I talked about Ed Gein before, who was pretty prolific, but I don't think we've had two. Two in one. No. This is a Halloween special, but if you're not into something this intense, then you can go listen to our Yukion episode or the Loveland Frog, perhaps. <laughs> if you all want to know about a giant frog, he's treat nice. yourselves. Pretty boy. Or tune in next week. We'll be covering something slightly less gory. But before we do, I have some weird news this week. Oh, you do? Yeah. So this time last year, exactly... The world's best true crime-ish podcast released. I would say we're more true crime paranormal. <laughs> Wait, you do mean us, right? Yes, I mean us. Happy Sick. birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, this weekend, I think Friday night? Hopefully. 8pm BST, we're going to be doing a live stream. So you guys can come over, see what we're chatting about, and do whatever you want. It'll be on Facebook and Twitch. Hopefully, if we can get all of that set up, because last time it was hellish yeah if you just follow us on instagram mostly uh instagram.com forward slash myths magic pod or at myths magic pod we'll put it all on there so if we have any updates we can just let you guys know but yeah happy birthday happy birthday all right uh you're going first this week i am so today i'm talking about jeffrey Dahmer, as i said the milwaukee cannibal so you've probably heard of this guy but you might not know his whole story like Kate, you don't know his whole thing, do you? No, I watched the film My Friend Dharma, but then it stopped before any killings, which I know everyone was super mad about. I mean, I understand why. I get it, yeah, because I feel like everyone knows him as a serial killer. I feel like it was a good insight into his early life, and it kind of had like the triad of what makes a serial killer and everything in it. But Fair enough. I think it's interesting as well, because... With a lot of these films, it's like the Ted Bundy film with Zac Efron. People were mad about that, not having any murder in it necessarily. But I think, how can you do that in a respectful way? Definitely. I think it, although talking about serial killers um, does give them credit for what they did, it doesn't romanticize what they did. Well, also, you kind of have to play it up in a movie. Definitely. But if you see, if I was a serial killer, right, and I saw... Someone like Zac Efron, you know, that level actor playing me, recreating the killings that I did, I would feel famous. Yeah, definitely. Like, you can't really do it and be respectful. No, but it was a pretty interesting film, the My Friend Dharma one. I think, I can't really quite remember it, but remember it had that guy from Team Beach movie in it. Yeah, that wasn't the the main point of it, but yeah. No, but it did have them. Uh, my sources for this week are History.com, Mirror, Wikipedia, FBI Files, at Chicago Sun-Times, CrimeMuseum.org, and Britannica. 
Jeffrey was born on May 21st in 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was the firstborn son of his parents, and he had like a relatively normal childhood compared to a lot of serial killers, which I think is quite interesting considering what an intense person he grew up to be. He was loved by his parents, but there was some family tension when he entered the first grade. His father, Lionel, was a chemistry student of university, and his mother suffered from depression and anxiety. Lionel was often working at his university, so he would leave his wife Joyce home with Jeff, and she would often demand attention and become argumentative when he would leave, and she would work herself into an extremely anxious state to the point where she attempted suicide. Because of this, they were less able to give their attention to Jeff, but he was still a happy and loving child. Until his fourth birthday. Shortly before Jeffrey turned four, he was taken to hospital to receive a double hernia surgery. It was at this point Jeffrey became quiet and reclusive, but he did have a small group of friends at school. He also developed a fascination with animal bones and collecting insects in jars. Kids are weird, though. Kids do that. Bones? Okay, maybe not the bones, but collecting insects in jars, I always thought was weird. You did? I used to collect insects. Not, like, creepy. I used to want to have, like, a pet caterpillar. No, that's weird to me. Oh. I liked to collect the caterpillars so that they could, like, become butterflies. Release them. Hmm. Hold them captive. Lionel was removing animal bones from underneath the family home one day when he found Jeffrey watching, extremely interested. From here, Jeffrey would search around the garden to try and find more bones. And the birth of his younger brother, along with frequent moving around from the family, added to the reclusion of Jeffrey. His family moved to Ohio in 1966, and he changed towns two years later, which made it even harder for him to make friends. As a result, he began to find comfort once again in dead animals, mm. although slightly more unusual and extreme. Oh no. He started to bring home dead animals from the roadside. He would often go out to collect the animals with friends and bring them home to dismember them in the family shed. I hate that so much. He would store the parts in jars, and he did this because he was curious to see how the animal parts fitted together. This baffles me, right? Because I feel like this is typical serial killer thing, is collecting animals and putting them in jars. Where is everyone getting these jars from? Because mason jars are like £8 a pop. Um, I honestly never thought about it. (laughs) Right? Like, fair enough. Your leftover jam, or whatever, you've got a jam jar. Not a lot's going to fit in that. So these have got to be like big jars like you see in the movies with like the liver in, you know, or like a heart in a jar. I guess. Where are you getting them? I guess his dad just had them. I don't don't know. It's mad. Maybe they were big jam jars. (laughs) Lots of jam. When Jeffrey was eight, he was having chicken for dinner with his family. At this point, his father graduated and he was working as a chemist and he had been for like two years. So Jeffrey asked his dad what would happen if they put the chicken bones in bleach. His dad was obviously pretty excited that his son was showing an interest in chemistry. So oh, hon. Yeah, so he showed him how to safely preserve the animal bones with bleach. From here, Jeff applied this technique to other bones that he collected while he was just, you know, exploring, looking for bones like kids do. Mm-hmm. When Jeffrey started high school, he was of course seen as an outcast, a bit weird. Well, yeah, man's got jar bones. Jar Wait, bones. Bone jars. <laughs> he joined the school band for a little bit and he was really into tennis. And he was seen as polite, but he didn't really make much of an attempt to befriend his classmates. And by age 14, he was drinking hard alcohol, referring to it as his medicine. This sounds like kids in Britain. (laughs) 
Although he was thought to be a loner, he often staged pranks and pretended to bleat or have like epileptic seizures to make his classmates laugh. And they liked this so much, they thought it was so funny that they started referring to it as doing a dharma when they would copy him. Oh my god. That is not what that name means now. Yeah, I imagine looking back at it, they're probably like, oh my god. At this stage in his life, Jeffrey also realised that he was gay. And although he was seeing male partners at the time, he didn't want to tell any of his family. Mm -hmm. So instead, he was just left alone with his fantasies, which got more and more intense. By the time he was 16, he began thinking about dominating and controlling a completely submissive partner, and he had to target. A jogger that Jeffrey found attractive would frequent the area, so Jeffrey made a plan to hide in some bushes with a baseball bat and wait for the man. That's how my friend Dharma ended. I th- did it not end with the first murder? No, he- I don't think he actually murdered anyone. I thought it was like the hitchhiker. Or could be. So anyway, the guy didn't end up jogging past that day, so Jeffrey just went home and didn't try again. But over the next few years, Jeffrey's grades rapidly declined, and he became more involved with alcohol. His family life was also breaking down, and his parents decided to divorce. They'd been attending counselling to deal with their problems for quite a while, but they decided to end things when his mum had an affair. Mm-hmm. His mum received custody of their younger son David, and they moved to Wisconsin and Jeffrey stayed at the family home while his father was staying at a motel for a few months. So he's alone in the house? Yes. Oh, great. Just he, a boy and his bones. He graduated high school in 1978, which was around the time that he was just at home. So he was living alone. Three weeks after his graduation, on July 18th, he picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Marks Hicks, who was 18. Jeffrey attempted to befriend Stephen and offered the two of them to go back to his empty house to drink alcohol. Stephen was on his way back from a concert, so he agreed to go back to Jeffrey's house mm-hmm. to drink. After a few hours of listening to music and drinking beer together, Stephen decided that he wanted to go home, but Jeffrey did not want him to do that. So he bludgeoned him with a 10 pound weight and proceeded to strangle him to death. Jesus. He then masturbated over the corpse and dissected the body in the basement. Jeffrey dissolved the flesh from the bones in acid and flushed it down the toilet. He then crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woods. Six weeks after this, his dad came back to the family home with his new fiancée and Jeffrey enrolled in university to become a business major. Just like nothing had happened. That's crazy. Right? So then he just went to uni. And he was pretty unproductive because of his alcohol abuse. So he often failed. His GPA was actually 0.45. Oof. And his father was paying for uni. And even though his dad had paid for a second term in advance, Jeffrey just decided that he wanted to drop out after three months. Oh my god. And to please his dad, he became an army medic. And while he was in the army, there were two soldiers who reported that Jeffrey had raped him. And his alcohol abuse got even worse, so they just discharged him. And he was sent to South Carolina for debriefing. But when he went there, they gave him a plane ticket and they were like, you can use this to go anywhere you want, so go home, kind of thing. Right. But he was like, I can't face my dad, so I'm going to go to Miami with the plane ticket. Right. Because he wanted to be be somewhere warm. Fair. So he went to a place um, where he worked at a sandwich shop and he spent his evenings on the beach, but he spent pretty much all of his money on alcohol and he was soon evicted from the motel that he was staying at. 
So at this point, he phoned his dad and he was like, can I come home? Like, I've been staying in Miami. Sorry, I just discharged from the army. And his dad was like, yeah, but you got to get a job. Fair. So he moved back in with his dad and his new stepmom. And he was looking for work, but he continued to heavily drink. And he was soon caught for a drunken disorderly conduct. And this was the last straw for his dad. And he was like, you have to go get off the alcohol and go live with your grandma. I imagine it would be pretty frustrating as the dad. Well, inevitably, yeah. I mean, he's been trying to give his son opportunities. Well, yeah, and, like, he paid for his uni, and then he was like, all right, fine, go off to the army, you know, get some structure. Because, like, if there's one thing the army will provide you with, it's it's structure and, like, organisation. Definitely. And then he sees that that's failed, and then he's like, it's fine, you can come home and get a job, and then he gets, like, a drunken disorderly, and you're like, oh, for God's sake. Just do something, Jeffrey. <laughs> So he went to live with his grandmother in Wisconsin and she's the only person that he had a close relationship with. Like he actively gave her physical affection, but he didn't do that with anybody else. Hmm. So he followed his grandma's rules and he went to church with her. He looked for work, but he did drink and smoke, but it wasn't quite as bad. And he quickly found work as a phlebotomist. Which Blood. Is quite fitting, yes. Hmm. And he did this for 10 months before being laid off when he was unemployed for two years. So he just lived off his grandma's money. As if, what a scrounger. But he did get another job as a mixer a little while later in a chocolate factory. Around this time, he'd been just kind of living normal and then he received a note from a man in a library who'd offered to perform sexual acts on him. And Jeffrey ignored the proposition, but it kind of brought back the same thoughts of control and dominance that he'd developed before in his life. So he started visiting gay bars and bathhouses and he also stole a male mannequin from a store to use for sex but his grandma discovered it and was like, you have to get rid of this. Oh no, that's so embarrassing. By the age of 25, Jeffrey was a regular at the gay bathhouses. However, when he would have sex with the men, he became very frustrated that they would move. So he began to administer them sleeping pills by spiking their drink, and he used this technique to rape 12 men in the bathhouse. Jesus Christ. And then when they found out about this, they were like, we're taking your membership away. Fair. But he started just doing it in hotel rooms instead. Oh. And what's absolutely awful is that he read in a newspaper about the funeral of an 18-year-old boy, and he decided to go to the grave to try and dig up the body to bring it home. Oh, no. But the soil was too hard, so he just decided that he didn't want to try. Oh my god. And then he was arrested shortly after this for masturbating in front of two 12-year-old boys, but he claimed he was just urinating into the river and he didn't realise they were watching, so his sentence was changed from indecent exposure to disorderly conduct. How old is he at this point? He's 25. Listen, I'm not even 25 yet and you won't catch me acting like this. What kind of a... Well, thank God. No, but I mean like... Jesus Christ, Kate. uh, It's so public i don't i'm that's what baffles me because like with uh my one spoiler it's not public jeffrey dharma is very confident and smart we'll get into that a bit later right but he is just i think at one point he flashed like 25 kids or something as well and got arrested for that he was just kind of let's just do this yeah like no one can stop me yeah it's crazy so one year after this he began killing again on November of 1987, Jeffrey lured a man named Stephen Tuomi into his hotel room to commit the usual act. Mm-hmm. 
but he woke up the next morning to find himself on top of Stephen, whose chest was bruised and crushed, with blood seeping from his mouth. Jeffrey also found that his fist was extensively bruised, and he claimed that he had no memory of this. And when he was caught many years later, he said that he couldn't believe that he'd done it. He didn't realise that that was, you know, what had happened. Mm. But he packed the body into a suitcase and he crept, kept it as his grandma's house for a week Oof. before dissecting it into very small pieces, crushing the bones on a hammer and throwing it into the trash. That's crazy. He did, however, keep the head, which he kept in a blanket for two weeks before boiling it in acid and bleach to attempt to retain the skull and then he used the skull for sexual purposes before crushing it and throwing it away. I told you this was going to be heavy. Sorry, I'm just sat here actually in shock. Yeah, so now that he'd killed and got away with two people, he began actively seeking new men to kill. So two months after he killed Stephen, Jeffrey offered a 14-year-old male sex worker $50 to come to his grandma's house and pose for some nude photos. What's that in today's money? Oh god, I don't know. We don't have any Wi-Fi. Seven million pounds. PDFs. <laughs> well, this was kind of what he did for the remainder of his killing, I guess. Mm. His thing was, oh, come to my house so I can take photos of you, and then you can go. Except, obviously, he wouldn't let them go. Yeah. I did figure that's how killing works, Arm, thanks. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> James Doxtator, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, agreed to this, and they engaged in sexual activities after the photos were taken. But then Jeffrey strangled James to death and left his body in the cellar for a week before disposing of it in the exact same way he disposed of his previous victim. I think that's what's so frustrating with someone like a serial killer, is that they don't just want you for sex. You know, they're not just, like, tricking you in so that they can, you know, have sex or sexually assault you. It's like, even if you have sex with them, even if you do everything they ask you to do, you're dead. They've already planned it. Yeah. Yeah, like, you are just... There's nothing you can do except fight and escape. Pretty much. I mean, I said that they had sex there, but that boy was also 14, so... Oh yeah, I know, like it's it's constitutional rape anyway, but even if the guy was of age and they had consensual sex, yeah, you are doomed. Definitely. Two months later, Jeffrey met his next victim, which was 22-year-old Richard Guerrero, and he met him outside of a gay bar. He lured Richard to his grandma's house for sex before he drugged and killed him. He then performed sexual acts on the corpse before disposing it in the same way as the others, but he did keep this guy's skull for longer. So does his grandma know this? No, his grandma is completely unaware. But he's killing people in her house? Yes. Oh my god. The next month, Jeffrey lured another man to his grandma's house, and he drugged him. However, his grandma came to see what was going on, so he was like, Jeff? She was like, Jeff, is that you? And he was like, yeah, grandma, it's me. Like, it's just me. And so she, he tried to convince her that he was alone, but she was like, he's not alone. I know that there's a guy up there. So, because of this, he didn't kill his victim, he took him to hospital. Oh my god. But then, in September of 1988, his grandma asked Jeffrey to move out because she didn't like that he left strange smells and that he often had young men over late at night. I'm presuming these strange smells are, in fact, literally the smell of death, grandma. Oh yeah, not like a nasty fart. As in, <laughs> he's, he doesn't he's, flush his shit. He's killing people, out. grandma. So then Jeffrey found a one-bed apartment and he moved in later that month. But he was arrested the very next day for drugging and fondling a 13-year-old boy who he'd invited into his home. Oh my god. 
So while the trial was, he was waiting trial, he moved back in with his grandma. And at this point, he murdered a man called Anthony Sears. And Anthony was a 24-year-old aspiring model. And Jeffrey said that he hadn't really planned on killing anyone that day. But Anthony came up to Jeffrey to talk to him. And Jeffrey was like, oh, actually, I will kill someone. I can make some time in my schedule. Well, I think it's important to remember as well that, like lots of serial killers, Jeffrey Dahmer was a really attractive man. Yeah. So if he's hanging around a gay bar, you might be interested in going up to him, you know? Definitely. It's not like someone who you're like, oh, he's a bit weird. Like, he d- he didn't look weird even a bit. Well, even if they're not attractive, like, um, no offense, John Wayne Gacy, but he's not hot. But he's super charismatic. Yeah. So the pair went back to his grandma's house for sex before Jeffrey d- drugged and killed Anthony. He then, <laughs> he then stripped the flesh from his bone in his grandma's bathtub before disposing of it. Jeffrey found Anthony extremely attractive, so he preserved his head and genitals in acetone and kept them in his fridge. Well, in I think his it, fridge? Well, I think it, he kept them in his fridge later, but I think at this point he was keeping them in his work locker until he moved back into his apartment. Oh, thank God. I was like... Not his grandma's Could fridge. you imagine his grandma getting out of the bath? Well, this is a short time where he's not living in his apartment. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. So after this, his trial happened and he was sentenced to probation and to register as a sex offender, but he was able to keep his job, so he moved back into a different apartment. However, just one week into this new apartment, and Jeffrey killed 32-year-old sex worker by the name of Raymond Smith. He drugged and killed Raymond before purchasing a Polaroid camera so that he could take suggestive photographs of the body. He then dismembered the body and kept the skull alongside the head of Anthony inside of a cabinet. A week after this, Jeffrey lured another man into his home, but he accidentally drank the drugs he was supposed to give to his victim, and he woke up to find that he'd been robbed. Good. Karma. But he didn't obviously report this to the police because they would have found some skulls. Mm-hmm. The next month, Jeffrey killed 27-year-old Edward Smith and attempted to preserve moisture in the body through freezing it. But this didn't work. So then he attempted to save the skull by sort of baking it and drying it in the oven, but it exploded. Oh. And apparently he felt really bad about not being able to preserve any of the body. Because he said that keeping parts of the body sort of allowed him to remember the physical beauty of his victims, which is why he took photos as well. You can't explain it, dude. You're whack. A few months later, 22-year-old Ernest Miller was lured into Jeffrey's apartment. Jeffrey offered money to Ernest if he'd let him listen to his heart and his stomach. He agreed. Jeffrey then attempted to have sex with the man, who insisted on more money to do that. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey drugged and killed Ernest before taking sexual photographs of the body. He then dismembered the body in the bathtub, and apparently while he was doing this, he was kissing and talking to the severed head. Jeffrey kept Ernest's heart, biceps, and parts of his legs in plastic bags to keep them in his fridge, and he boiled the rest of his organs into a jelly. Ew. He then preserved the entirety of Ernest's skeleton and kept it in his apartment. Oh my god. Three weeks later, Jeffrey persuaded 22-year-old David Thomas to come to his apartment and take photographs. David agreed, and once at the apartment, he was drugged and killed. Jeffrey said that once he drugged David, he didn't find him attractive anymore, but he couldn't let him leave in case he was mad about being drugged. Dude, obviously. Well, yeah. So then he killed him, obviously, and then he photographed the dismemberment process. He then didn't kill anyone for almost five months. 
before he lured 17-year-old Curtis Strauter into his home to pose for photographs. He strangled and killed Curtis before preserving his hair, genitals, and hands, as well as taking more dismemberment photographs. Then, two months later, he encountered 19-year-old Errol Lindsay. Errol was straight, but he agreed to come to Jeffrey's home. And this bit is kind of more dark than the rest of it. So, brace. Jeffrey drugged him, and then he drilled a hole into his head and poured hydrochloric acid into it. He did this in an attempt to create a permanent, unresistant zombie person who would just be submissive, but still alive. Errol woke up after the procedure, claiming that he had a headache, and when he realised that his experiment didn't work, Jeffrey strangled the man, kept his skull, and attempted but failed to preserve the body. Many of the neighbours in Jeffrey's apartment complex complained to their landlord that they could often hear things falling, the sound of a chainsaw, and that the apartment in general smelled really foul. And Jeffrey said that his his freezer had broken down and his meat had gone off, which is why it smelled so bad. And he also said that he had tropical fish that died, and they also smelled, and that he'd take care of it. But, obviously, he didn't. What? Imagine... Imagine being the landlord because man's got tropical fish that died and so it stinks of rancid meat and death. Yeah. And so his landlord was just like, yeah, that's fine. So the landlord didn't look into it any further and as a result, Jeffrey continued to kill. <laughs> it is crazy and his landlord was just like, oh, you've Some got... Some fish, you've really? You've got old stinky fish, that's fine. He couldn't come up with anything better. He Why was he not like, like, are you using a chainsaw in my apartment? Right? Landlords do not care, man. No. Well, his next victim was 14-year-old Conrad Synthesomphone, the younger brother of the, of the boy Jeffrey was arrested for molesting in 1988. He offered the boy money to pose for photos and he reluctantly agreed. He then drugged and sexually assaulted the boy before drilling a hole into his skull to inject hydrochloric acid into his frontal lobe. Oh my god, stop. It doesn't fucking work. Before Conrad passed out, he led the boy into his bedroom and he knew that he was about to fall asleep because he didn't react to the corpse of uh, 31-year-old Tony Hughes, who Jeffrey had killed just three days before and his body was just still in there. So once Conrad had fell asleep, Jeffrey lay next to him and drank some beer. And then he went out to get more alcohol. When he returned, he saw Conrad sitting outside naked, talking to three distressed women. Jeffrey told him that the boy's name was Jim, and that he was just his drunk friend. The women told Jeffrey that they'd already called the police because they didn't believe him. Oh my god. And in one of the articles I read, it was from the women, one of the women, being like, I, I knew that he was lying, and he knew. And he kept just changing the name, like, oh, this is John, Jim, come on. Oh my god. And this is extremely frustrating. But the police arrived, and Jeffrey calmly told them that it was his 19-year-old boyfriend, John, who drank too much after they'd argued. This boy is 14. He said that John often acted like this when he drank. The women watching were very frustrated and pointed out to the officers that the boy looked really young, was really afraid, and he was bleeding from his head and his genitals. Also, he was naked... The police told the woman to shut up or shut the hell up because oh it's God. a domestic incident. Then they wrapped Conrack in a towel and escorted him back to Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. Oh my God. Jeffrey showed the officers nude photos he'd taken of Conrack the day before to sort of verify the story of them being in a relationship. 
and the officers were like, oh yeah, that's fine. When they arrived at the apartment, they noticed it smelled really bad because there was obviously literally a naked corpse in Jeffrey's bedroom. But to investigate this, they simply just peeked their head around the doorway and were like, oh, it's okay, before leaving. They didn't even do a background check, which would have revealed that he was a convicted child molester under probation. I can't believe it. How have they not lost their jobs? Right? Well, maybe they did afterwards. You would hope so, because that's insane. Like, that is... Imagine being the police that left let Jeffrey Dahmer kill way more people because you didn't investigate. Or even even just being the one that let him kill one more person yeah, is bad well, enough. If he did just went into that apartment to investigate those police officers, they would have, first of all, found that that boy was underage and was about to be killed and was previously abused and had acid put into his brain, but also that there's a corpse in his bedroom and he has skulls. They would have found it and they would have been able to... Stop everything there and That's then. But so they didn't. crazy. Well, especially since, like, I feel like I don't know what exactly the protocol is, right? If you find someone and you think it's a domestic or whatever. But I would say to them, when is your birthday? And then I would go over to the other person and be like, when is their birthday? Fair enough. And if they don't get it right, you're out of there. Yeah, they just took his word for it. So when, when the police left, Jeffrey injected more hydrochloric acid into Conrad's brain which killed him. And then Jeffrey disposed of the body, as well as the body of Thomas Hughes, and he kept both both skulls. Where is he putting these? How much storage space does he have in his rented flat? Cabinet. Jeffrey, I don't think he has decorations, if you think about it, though. His decorations are just skulls. He bleached some of them, he painted some of them. Wouldn't he try and make it look normal, though? In case the police came out. I guess, but there was a cabinet... There's a, a body in his bedroom. I don't think he's really that bothered. True. Jeffrey then went on to kill 20-year-old Matt Turner by offering him a photo shoot before drugging and strangling the man. Five days later, he lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger into his home and injected boiling water into his skull. Oh, God. What and is it with injecting things into people's skulls? Well, Leave it alone. He's trying to create a zombie person. Goodness. The next month, he killed 24-year-old Oliver Lacey after posing for news photographs. He had sex with the corpse before dismembering the body, keeping their head and heart. He then killed 25-year-old Joseph Braidhoff. A few days later, Jeffrey approached 32-year-old Tracy Edwards and offered him $100 for him to pose for nude photographs. He agreed, and upon entering Jeffrey's home, Tracy noticed that his apartment smelled awful, and there was acid on the floor. Jeffrey said he was cleaning bricks and that his tropical fish had died. Oh my god, again with the tropical fish. He then distracted Tracy by saying, look over here at my tropical fish, before he handcuffed him and brought him to his bedroom. I don't even know if this guy had tropical fish. I can't believe that worked. Right? My tropical fish have died. Look over here! The tropical fish have died! Tracy noticed that in his bedroom, The Exorcist 3 was playing on the TV. Stop it. His room smelled really bad. Um, from this barrel in the corner and his room was full of posters of just naked people and then Jeffrey pulled out a knife and told Tracy to take off his shirt so he could take the photographs Tracy said if he would take the cuffs off him and put the knife away he would agree Jeffrey then just started watching TV and started rocking back and forth and talking to himself and then he placed his ear against Tracy's chest and told him he was planning on eating his heart like he'd done to the others oh my god Tracy then told Jeffrey that he was his friend in an attempt to be freed, 
Although he said that he was planning on jumping from the window if we needed to. Fair enough. Tracy asked Jeffrey if they could sit in the living room and have a beer together because there was air conditioning in that room. And Jeffrey agreed. Tracy then asked if he could use the bathroom. And he also agreed to that. Though once he stood up, so at this point, I think he just has a handcuff on one wrist. Right. Because he couldn't get it on both of them. So once he stood up, he punched Jeffrey in the face and ran out of the door. Oh my god. He alerted the police and brought them to Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. The police went in to see what was going on, and they found a large knife under Jeffrey's bed. They also saw many Polaroid photographs of his dismemberment process and arrested him immediately. Thank god. At this point, one of the officers opened Jeffrey's fridge to find a severed head. And as he was being arrested, Jeffrey told the officers that he should be dead for what he's done. Oh my god. They found a total of four preserved head in the, heads in the kitchen, seven skulls, blood in the fridge, two hearts, some arm muscles, an entire torso in the freezer, a bag of frozen human organs, an entire skeleton, a pair of hands, two preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and three whole torsos dissolving in acid in the barrel in his bedroom. Oh. Not to mention the 74 Polaroids of the dismemberment process and his victims. And while it's horrific, it did help to identify the victims because they had photographs of like pretty much all of them. That's awful. Could you imagine how scarred that police officer is? Oh yeah, apparently when he saw them, he called his partner in and he was like, these are for real. Like These, these are actual photographs of, of this. And it's happen- it, this is right here in the bedroom. You know? My God. He was charged with 15 accounts of first-degree murder, but he did kill 17 people, and he quickly confessed before pleading guilty. Psychologists thought he was insane and that he couldn't control his impulses, so that's what the defense went with. Mm -hmm. But he was seen as sane during the time of the trial because they thought him to be a cunning and clever individual who could see right from wrong. But he was, however, diagnosed with several mental disorders. So he was imprisoned, but he was bludgeoned to death by two inmates in 1994. Good. And that's Jeffrey Dahmer. Jesus, that was a lot. I told you it'd be a wild ride. So much information in one hit. Yes. What do you think? Well... Obviously not going to do a scale scale because that would be inappropriate. Well, yeah. Um, awful. Fair enough. I think think that's where I'm going to leave it. One word, awful. Just awful. I think the use of chemistry was interesting because a lot of people just bury. Yeah, he'd remembered that. It's like his his first victim when he just killed him, flushed the skin down the toilet and then smashed up the bones. Yeah. And no one no one knew. No, it's very clever. And then he just went on to live his life. Oh, so awful though. And his poor grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Really did grim. she ever find out? Was she still alive? I don't know. I hope not. I know his parents obviously found out. They were there when he was getting sent to prison. Mm. And his mum was mad at the public when he got um, bludgeoned to death in prison because she was like, are you happy now? He's dead. Kind of thing. Listen, I understand a mother's love, but it can only go so far. Your son has been injecting poison into people's brains. It's pretty intense. Eating hearts and stuff. Come on now. He had a whole skeleton. 
Yeah. Goodness me. And I can't believe the police work. I think that's the most surprising part of all of it, is that they could have caught him before he killed like five more people. Yeah. Run a background check. Well, it's small town police though, isn't it? Yeah. It's the trouble, you know. We can judge them now, knowing what we all know now, but you just wouldn't expect it, would you? And like, it was small town. Everyone knows everyone. Like, that type of thing doesn't happen in Milwaukee. Fair enough. You just don't expect it. Except it did, because wasn't that where Bundy was from? Well, I think, yeah. I don't know. Christ, what's in the water over there, guys? Well, anyway, that's that's that story. I'm going to move on now. <laughs> yeah, plug before, us. I need a break. Before we talk about another serial killer. Yay. Hope you guys are having a spooky October. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do that at MythsMagicPod. And if you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash MythsMagicMurder. Over on Patreon, we don't have tiers. You can pledge as little or as much as you'd like. It can be less than Spotify, more than a coffee, whatever you want, honestly. Over there, you get a merch discount because we have merchandise. Yeah, you can get that at MythsMagicAndMurder.com. Click on the merch button. And you can also get extra episodes, little insights about what we'll be releasing, what our kind of game plan is moving forward, and you get to chat to us if you want to, so that's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Also, if you have any terrifying tales, spooky stories, or haunted happenings, you can email those over on mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com. So I'm going to get right into it. Please do, I think. My sources are crimemuseum.org, biography.com, grunge.com, wikipedia, thoughtco.com, and murderpedia. So let's start at the beginning of John Wayne Gacy's life. John was born on the 17th of March, 1942. When he was a child, he lived with his parents and two sisters in Chicago, but it wasn't a happy upbringing. His father was an alcoholic and would constantly physically and verbally abuse him. Regardless, John still looked up to his father as a role model, so wanted to impress him and earn his praise and approval. This was met by his father calling him stupid. Ah, always the best way of parenting. Yeah. Throughout this time, John's mother would attempt to protect her son from the physical attacks, but this led to more name-calling from his father, calling him like a mummy's boy. Mm. This relationship with his father could be why John never spoke out about being molested by a family friend repeatedly from age seven as he didn't want his father to blame him for it. That's so terrible and sad. Yeah. His teen years were no better. He was bullied at school because of weight gain. The weight gain was actually caused by a congenital heart disease, but kids are cruel. Yeah, kids be like that. John also experienced a series of blackouts, but since doctors didn't know what was wrong, his father blamed him for faking it. Good God. John had to drop out of high school because he couldn't catch up with what he missed, because out of four years, he basically had a whole year off because he was just in hospital. Surprisingly enough, as most teens don't fake blacking out, it was eventually discovered that John had a blood clot on his brain, which was sorted out. For proving his father wrong, though, he got extra beatings. Since he was beaten so regularly... It led John to create this coping mechanism where he just switched off. I guess so, like, he wouldn't cry or feel anything. But it could explain why he did what he did later. Yeah, I guess. God, this is a depressing episode. I know. (laughs) 
When he was 18, John moved out. He'd had enough. So his dad bought him a car, but he kept it in his name until he paid off all of like the money for it. Um, and then whenever he didn't do whatever his dad had asked him to do, he would take the keys and be like, you're never going to get this. You know, he would like taunt him with it. Yeah. So he'd paid it off by age 18 and he took the keys and he just left. He went to Las Vegas and worked in the ambulance service. This wasn't for long as he was transferred to Palm Mortuary. This involved spending many nights alone in the mortuary, sleeping on a cot near the embalming room. Ah, spooky. On his last shift, he got into a coffin and molested the corpse of a teenage boy. Zero to a hundred real quick. Yep. After doing so, John was so shocked that he'd been aroused by a male. That's what he was shocked yep. by? Yep, yep. It was the fact that he was he was a bit gay. John. He phoned his mother and told her he was coming home. It had been 90 days since he left. That it? Yeah. All of that had happened in 90 days. This is chaos. From here, he went to business school and met Mar- Marlin, sorry, Myers and got married. Marlin's father obviously had some money money because he bought John three KFC restaurants in Iowa for him to manage. How specific. Yeah. This provided John and Marlin with $15,000 a year, which is equal to $115,500 a year in today's money. Wow. Yeah. Plus a share of the restaurant's profits on top of that. Plus, Marlin's parents had vacated a residence for them to stay in. Wow, they sound great. So they were well off, which gave John a chance to indulge in his secret hobbies. No. So along the way, he'd become a member of the JCs. This is the United States Junior Chamber and is a leadership training and civic organization to develop skills through service to others. Anyway, the JCs in the Waterloo area were pretty wild, and they would wife swap, hire sex workers, indulge in porn, and use illegal drugs. Sounds crazy. So John joined them, started doing everything they were doing, and all of this led him to recall the day he molested the corpse. No. Yeah. From here, while Marilyn, Marlin sorry, was giving birth to his son in 1967 and his daughter in 1968, John was building a hangout in the basement for the local teens. He would promote this room as a place with free alcohol and porn. Then, once the teen was in and became intoxicated, he would molest them. Luckily, though, he didn't get away with it forever. After sexually assaulting 15-year-old Donald Voorhees, he told his dad, who was also JC, and he reported John in March 1968. John tried shrugging it off as a lie, but... (laughs) For some reason, he then paid another local teen to go beat up Donald and threaten him to not testify. What? Yeah. So he paid this teen $300 and then the police were like, why'd you beat that kid up? And he was like, oh, John told me to do it. That's I was way more suspicious, dude. Yeah, so everyone knew he was guilty, basically. Yeah, fair enough. He was found guilty and had a 10-year sentence. While inside, his father died and he wasn't permitted to attend the funeral. As well as this, his wife divorced him. While in prison, though, he was doing everything right. He was like a model prisoner, which led him to be released 
on a 12-month probation after 18 months. Is that it? Of being inside. Good God. Although some people thought John had changed, John had, in fact, not changed. Surprise. He moved into a home in Illinois, and on January 2nd, 1972, John picked up Timothy Jack McCoy. He was 16 and planned to sleep at the bus terminal in Chicago, so he knew there was... So he knew he was in the bus terminal in time for his bus, which was super early in the morning the next day. That's sweet. But then John came along and offered to give him a tour of the city as well as a night stay at his house. Then, according to John, the next morning, he awoke to the sight of Timothy standing at his bedroom door holding a knife. John thought he'd come in to kill him, so he got up, tackled him, took the knife out of his hand and stabbed him to death. Oh, of course. Necessary. Afterwards, when he'd, like, washed his hands, gone downstairs, he actually realised that Timothy was making him breakfast. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he'd set two places. There was, like, eggs in a pan. No. There was uncut bacon, which is why he had the knife. That's so sad. He'd just gone in to wake him up. No. But the whole event had made John realise that killing gave him sexual pleasure. Timothy was buried in the crawl space beneath his home. Oh my gosh. A few months after this, on July 1st, 1972, John married his high school sweetheart, Carol Hoff. She and her two daughters from a previous marriage moved into John's home. Although he had a tarnished history, he integrated himself well into the community, becoming friends with neighbours, working on community projects, and entertaining children at parties as Pogo the Clown. Ah, here it is. Just a few years later, though, the married couple divorced, as John told Carol he was interested in men. But she already knew. Oh, nice. Yeah. She knew from going into the basement and finding gay porn and other men's wallets. Fair enough. That's a bit of of a giveaway. Also, the year prior, on Mother's Day, John had told her that they weren't going to have sex anymore. Just like... We're not going to do that anymore? Yeah, it was like, just a heads up, we're not having sex anymore. How, that must have been so random. I mean, I guess not if she knew, but to just be like, hey, just so you know. No more sex. So much sexual assault happened because of John Wayne Gacy. It's all online. I'm not going to go into details. There are literally too many accounts of it happening. Well, okay. John Wayne Gacy murdered at least 33 young boys. 33 is a lot. I thought Jeffrey Dahmer was a lot with 17. No, 33 at least. Wow. It would normally be the case that he would invite them into his house with the author of work, alcohol, drugs, or money. Once there, he would get them intoxicated or gain their trust, then sexually assault them, torture them, and finally kill them. Gacy's torture took the form of cigar burns, making them kind of act like a horse while he sat on their back and pulled up reins on their throat, violate them with foreign objects, and waterboard them. Jesus Christ. The victims had no way to fight back, as John would perform the handcuff magic trick at first, when they were, like, a bit drunk, where he would handcuff himself, then unlock the handcuffs behind his back with a key that he hid in between his fingers, then he'd offer to show the young boys like how to do it and how to get out. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when they agreed, he would handcuff them and say, 
the trick is you have to have the key. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. The murders would normally happen by placing a rope tourniquet around the neck and progressively tightening it. He would say, this is my last trick, and called it the rope trick. This is gruesome. Yeah. You can tell he's having fun with it. Definitely. Well, it was like a magic show, wasn't it? Yeah. Most were murdered between 3 and 6 a.m., and John would store the bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours before burying them in the crawl space. Here, he would periodically pour quicklime to speed up decomposition. The known victims were Timothy McCoy, 16 years old, John Bukovich, 28, Daryl Sampson, 18, Randall Reffert, 15, Samuel Stapleton, 14, Michael Bonin, 17, William Carroll, 16, James Harkinson, 16, Rick Johnson, 17, Kenneth Parker, 16, Michael Marino, 14, William Bundy, 19, Gregory Godzik, 17, John Sizik, 19, John Prestige, 20, Matthew Bowman, 19, Robert Gilroy, 18, John Mowry, 19, Russell Nelson, 21, Robert Winch, 16, Tommy Bowling, 20, David Talsma, 19, William Kindred, 19, Timothy O'Rourke, 20, Frank Landigan, 19, James Mazzara, 20, and finally, Robert Peast, 15. So as you can tell, there's a lot. Those are just the ones that are named and known. Yeah. Most of these, so 26 of them, the names that I just gave you, were stored in the crawl space of the home. Why do Americans have a crawl space? It's I know. so freaky. It's I don't horrific. understand it. But eventually John ran out of room and considered oh putting the rest in the attic, but there were problems with bodily leakage. Oh my gosh. So he just threw them off the I-55 bridge into the river. Horrific. A couple of those names that I just gave you had previously worked from him, for him, sorry, on a construction business type thing. So he would get them to do the odd jobs in his home, which could have involved them digging their own graves without knowing it. Oh, wow. That's horrific. That's terrible. Robert Peast is the death that led to John Wayne Gacy being arrested. John basically got caught in a lie to the police about his whereabouts and turned up to the police station to give a statement absolutely covered in mud. Mm, so everyone's like, yeah, that's a bit sketchy. The police got a search warrant for his home and found police badges because that was one way that he would get kids into his car to take them. All right. A six millimeter pistol, a syringe and hypodermic needle, handcuffs, poppers, an 18-inch dildo, and clothing that was way too small for him, like young boys' clothing. Right. As well as this, Robert Peast had borrowed a Parker from a work colleague on his way out to see a contractor, and, like, John was the contractor. The Parker was not in Gacy's house, but a receipt from the pocket was in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And when the colleague was questioned, she said she remembered putting the receipt in the jacket before she gave it to Robert which makes Gacy's claim that he never met Robert Peast impossible. 
In the end, though, it wasn't the police work that put Gacy in jail. On the evening of December 20th, 1978, John Wayne Gacy drove to his lawyer's office and confessed. Wow. The police went to his house again with a second search warrant and found all of the kids in the crawl space. That must have just been awful. Yeah. Gacy was found guilty, and although Gacy had tried to use an insanity plea, he was ultimately sentenced to death. He was on death row for 14 years. Here, the I-75 killer stabbed him in the arm. Whoa. When he wasn't getting assaulted by inmates, Gacy was painting. He often painted Pogo the Clown and was allowed to earn money from his paintings until 1985, when the laws changed. Many of his paintings were bought for large amounts of money and then disposed of, with family members of the victims publicly burning a few of them. Fair enough. Interestingly, when I studied psychology, I don't know if you knew that, but I actually, <laughs> I studied psychology. Uh, there was a module called Psychology Art, and I had to do a portfolio with two images that I could pick, and I picked one of his paintings, and there I learned that the stripes on the clown's uniform represented each boy he had killed. Which is sick. It is sick. Gacy's last meal was a KFC bucket, a dozen fried shrimp, french fries, strawberries, and a Diet Coke pretty solid. When Gacy was receiving the lethal injection, the chemicals clogged the IV tube. Oh, wow. So he wasn't, he wasn't dying. So the witnesses' blinds were shut while they figured out what had just happened. And then eventually they just had to reset literally everything and inject him again. Oh my god. And as the lethal injection was entering his body, John Wayne Gacy's last words would kiss my ass. What a dickhead. His brain was removed and studied, and his body was cremated. Interesting. What a sicko. Massive bell end, I mm, think. Definitely. 100%. Really up his own ass. Yeah, I think that's the worst. I mean, obviously, serial killers are the worst. We know this. But I think it makes it even worse when they are, they think it's funny, or mm -hmm. like, a thrill like Jeffrey Dahmer was horrific disgusting but I think he there's some sort of comfort in knowing that he just wanted to like experiment like it's still absolutely twisted but at least he wasn't getting like a, a giggle from it you know what I mean yeah but making it like a show yeah that's that Gacy was putting on like it's, it's disgusting sick. in its own way yeah and he said once he was killing someone and um, he'd obviously, he, they were being strangled by his rope trick and they were on the floor dying and he took a call from one of his contractors. Oh, Jesus. He had a work call. He just took it. Like, how disgusting is that? Yeah. Well, this has been a pretty dark episode. What would your last meal be on death row if you were to, for some reason, become a <laughs> Commit heinous crime. Yeah. Um... I think I would probably pick some of everything. I would have like a taster, taster platter. Tasting spoons. Yeah, like some sushi, some soup, burger, chips, some ice cream. I'm just making you hungry. This was a bad idea yeah, to ask. Yeah, you really are. But also a lot of alcohol. Interesting, yeah. Like I would not want to be thinking about dying, really. Because I imagine dying scary regardless of whether you you're crazy 
Fair enough. Yeah. A lot of alcohol. How about you? Um, yeah, probably a bit of everything. I like that. I like that idea. A little bit of curry. Yeah. Pizza. Because you can't actually eat that much. Well, I can't. Yeah. Like, I like to think I can. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't actually eat that much. So, you would get to try some of all of it before you left. Well, fair enough. I would, though, if I was allergic to, like, peanuts, ask for some peanut butter. For, for, a, for a giggle? Or... What? Well, just so that like they couldn't kill you. You go out on your own terms. Oh, nice. Yeah. I thought you were just like gonna swell up. I was like, what would be the purpose? <laughs> Whoa! Oh, inconvenience. <laughs> My tongue is big. <laughs> That's it. Well, this has been a dark episode, but we hope you found it interesting. It has. We certainly did. And I hope you enjoy it. The closer we get to Halloween. Yeah. Tune in next week for some paranormal stuff. And don't forget to have a look at our. Instagram, Facebook, etc. to see about our birthday live stream. Yep. Well, definitely don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs> <laughs>